Hello and welcome in to episode number four of the 48 Minutes Podcast. Hopefully everyone is enjoying a wonderful holiday season. I'm Ross Geiger, the host of the show, and I'm pumped to be joined by my two co-hosts, Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? Uh, it's just wonderful. It's The holiday season is the best, man. People are nice to each other. Of course, next week that'll all end, but for now it's all good. Having a great time. Santa never misses my house, so we're we're uh, we're in good shape. Well, perfect. I gl- I'm glad to hear that, Bruce. Let's tip things off with you here tonight. All right, my opening take right now is I'm very very sad to see how the Lakers are wasting, they're squandering LeBron James's late career brilliance. Uh, he's in year number twenty. Okay, he's going to be 38 years old in a few days. He's averaging almost 28, more than eight rebounds, six and a half assists. I just want to compare him to two other guys that are in the GOAT conversation at age 38. Michael Jordan at age 38 was 7.2 points a game below his career average, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was 1.2 points per game below his career average in their age 38 season. LeBron is actually averaging almost a point above his career average at the age of 38. Um, his team sucks. They gave up 51 <laughs> points in the third quarter to Dallas on Christmas. And I know we're going to get into that, uh, Ross. Uh, but the one thing I'm looking forward to is LeBron breaking Kareem's all-time scoring record. And here's a clip and save, folks. I want you to circle Saturday, February 11th, which is the ABC uh, 8.30 Saturday night game at Golden State. Ooh. It's the weekend before the All-Star break. And I think that's the night that uh, LeBron catches Kareem. World B, what do you have? Well, I'm going to get regionalized here since I live in, down in this area, but I want to give a shout out to the Orlando Magic. Uh, eight wins their last nine games. They're really uh, really on fire. They actually are in contention for a play-in spot. Uh, just two and a half. They entered Tuesday, just two and a half games out of the 10th place. Uh, along the way, they've beaten the Celtics twice, as we talked about last week. They've beaten the Raptors twice. They've beaten the Clippers. They're really, really playing good ball. Their only loss in this stretch came against the Hawks when they were playing the third game in four days all on the road, and that came on a last-second free throw when they, when uh, Bancaro fouled, uh, fouled the Atlanta guy on, at the closing second. But, you know, th- their offense had been a, a train wreck for years, and during this stretch, they're, they're number five in offense. They're shooting threes well, number nine in threes over this stretch. They, you know, and we talk about all these young guys. They're, I think they're second behind the Rockets in percentage of minutes that are uh, doled out by their rookies and second year guys. Um, and yet they have the most efficient bench in the league during this stretch. They're outscoring opponents by about two or three points per 100 possessions from the bench. They're really playing well, they're getting healthy. They have a good, solid core group, and they're getting their you-know-what handed to them at the moment by the Lakers. <laughs> but everybody gets to step on their on their toes, you know, step on their uh, two left feet every now and then. I think they're going to be, as long as they stay healthy, in contention for a playoff spot the rest of the year. Yeah, I would a postseason to... spot. Excuse me. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you, World B. I mean, you look at this team and. You know, their health report, they just got Wendell Carter back. 
Uh, Gary Harris is now back. So those are two proven veterans that can help out those young guys. Uh, Bruce, I know that you've mentioned calling them the killer bees in Orlando and Bonchero, Bamba and Bull. Uh, they've been certainly fun to watch this year and uh, definitely need to con continue to keep an eye on Orlando. And I think for the rest of the league, uh, they've been put on notice that you can't take them lightly. Um, but let's keep things moving here. Let's get right into our first quarter with a little Christmas recap review and world B we're going to start off with you as you your game for Christmas was uh Philly at New York well I mean uh Philly showed why they're on a roll these days and they really showed why as much as as well as New York has been playing had been playing maybe they're not in Philly's class Philly really did a number on them in the fourth quarter hold them to 16 points uh you know they they held the Knicks only averaged or scored 69.6 points for 100 possessions in the fourth quarter, just seven of 23 from the field. It was really a dismal, uh, you know, really good game until that fourth quarter. Embiid uh, and Harden were on their games as usual, 64 points combined. They really did what we know them to do and get to the line. Combined, they were 20 of 26 in the free throw line. I think the Knicks were 14 of 17 as a team for the whole game. From the line, so those two getting the job done, like I said, thirty-five for MD, I think twenty-nine for Harden. They uh, they showed why they're all the talk about the Knicks playing well, and they were maybe not at that level just yet. Hey, uh, World B, um, James Harden during this eight-game winning streak, his average, his point average is right around twenty-one. He's averaging almost 13 assists and just four turnovers during this eight-game streak. Sometimes we forget what an incredibly good passer James Harden is because of all the points he scored over all those years. That dude, man, I mean, the reason Joel Embiid's leading the league in scoring is because, uh, you know, James Harden's getting him the rock. I think he gets more – MD gets more assists from Harden than any other player gets from another player, in, you know, that makes sense, in the league. I think I I think that's the number I remember or the note I remember about him. Those two guys, yeah. You forget Harden has the ball in his hands a lot, but he's so productive with it when he has it. Like I say, he's more of a playmaker this year than he uh, is a scorer. But yeah, they're they're looking like a formidable team at the moment. The way they're playing with those two, if they can stay healthy along with Maxi, and you know if they get everybody healthy, they they got a shot. And Bruce, you had the uh, Milwaukee-Boston game. What were your thoughts watching that one on Christmas Day? Well, first of all, it was a 21-point beatdown, and Boston's now got the best record at 24-10. Tatum and Brown combined for 70 in that game. But what was really interesting was each guy, they, they split up which quarters they were going to dominate. Tatum dominate, or, or Brown dominated the first and the fourth, with 13 points in each quarter. Tatum dominated the second and third with 12 and then 20 in the third. So it's really a matter of, the you know, people used to wonder, gee, can these guys play together? I don't think they're exactly playing my turn, your turn. I just think that in a given game, they're both going to heat up at some point and everyone else on the team kind of has the good sense to say, oh, okay, this might be Jalen's quarter. Keep getting it to him. And, Look, they're they're the top scoring tandem in the league, and I know this is sacrilegious, and I know that the Bulls fans are going to say, you know, you're tripping, Bruce, but I'm starting to get a feel that these two wings are almost kind of the closest I've seen to Jordan and Pippen as far as two way guys 
good scorers on any given night. Uh, Tatum's defense has gotten much better. Jalen's always was good, so he didn't have to get that much better. So I know I'm, I know I'm, you know, kind of getting a little ahead of myself there. But boy, oh boy, I'm, I'm getting that vibe. You know who, by the way, who Boston's third leading scorer is? I'm gonna guess uh, Malcolm Brogdon. Excellent guess. Off the bench, <laughs> off the bench, sixth man, thirteen point six points a game. So I think they've sort of gotten them, you know, righted the ship a little bit. Although, yeah, they're up nine on Houston now. They're playing on uh, on. Uh, Tuesday night here. So, uh, yeah, I f- I'm feeling real good about those guys. I almost wore my Celtics hat, but I decided to go with NBA tonight. tonight. <laughs> uh, the one thing, while the Celtics had their – that was their best offensive game of the month. We had talked about last week how they've been struggling, and they had their best offensive game of the month against a team that entered December with the best as the best defense in the month of this – in the league, in the Bucks, And – this month, they're just middle of the pack right now in defensive efficiency. They're about 13th or whatever, giving up almost 114 points per 100 possessions. So I don't know. We'll have to keep an eye going forward about the Bucs because they were up there. It was them in Cleveland for most of the season, back and forth for the best title, the best defensive team. But they've really dropped off this month. Yeah, and Bruce, you mentioned Jalen Brown. Uh, I've can- – been noticing his first and third quarters the start of each half he seems to explode and as you mentioned just tailoring back to Tatum getting going as well it's really a great playoff one another but Jalen Brown in specific like and specifically the first and third I feel like he's always lights out and that that was something coming out of the half in that game against the Bucks. I was like boy they got to do a job on that guy and they really had no answers Last Friday, he actually had a 23-point quarter against Minnesota, too. So he's been, like, bunching up his points and just dominating quarters lately. And then for me, um, hate to break it to you, fellas, but I think I picked the best game on Christmas Day. That's right, the last game of the night. Phoenix at Denver went to overtime, and boy, was it a lot of a lot of drama, roller coaster ride. Devin Booker uh, was set to return. Ended up starting in the game. Only played four minutes before hurting his groin. Uh, but Landry Shamit came in off the bench, picked up the slack, and balled out yet again in, Book- in Booker's absence. He hit seven triples on his way to 31 points on the night. And DeAndre Ayton as well impressed me. He had 22 points, 16 rebounds in his effort, but still wasn't good enough against the Joker as he was yet again just the MVP. You saw why he's the two-time MVP. 20, uh, 41 points, 15 rebounds, 15 assists. And then his, his counterpart, Aaron Gordon, had eight dunks, including what should go down as the dunk of the year as he completely destroyed yes. Landry Shamit in the Absolutely. fourth quarter on a pivotal transition possession. And, you know, I do have one question on that play. I'm sure you've both seen it. Was it a block or a charge? I guess it was a, a I guess it was a block because it wasn't a charge. <laughs> when I saw it initially live, I thought it was a charge. Okay. And then the more you look at it, I I'm not convinced it wasn't a charge. They didn't call it, so it becomes the dunk of the year. Yeah. I'm I'm if they I'm call actually... it if they call it right, nobody remembers the dunk. Hey, but wait a second now. <laughs> Tatum's dunk on Giannis on Christmas Day was hey, hey. maybe 1A. I'm not going to say it's better, Ross, because, you know, you picked a good one there. 
But you know, that one was that, that one was, was pretty was, nasty. That was in the posterized Hall of Fame, too, I think. I yeah, definitely was. I got that one sent to me a few times from some friends. So <laughs> thanks for bringing up bad memories. But you know Sorry, what? Dude. I think, uh, you know, I got to give it up to Shamit, giving up his body. I, I thought he was there. I, I, I'm in agreement with World B. I thought it was a charge, but they did go ahead and review it. Um, so they must have had enough substantial evidence to overturn it. Uh, would love to ask your buddy, Bruce, um, Steve Javi on that one. That would be one I'd love to get an explanation on. But I think he had logged off. Uh, the TV set for the night before uh, that possession. So that was a bummer for NBA fans. I texted Steve on Christmas Day because we're good pals. So I just wanted to send him a Merry Christmas text. And and I told him about this podcast. So he'll be joining us one of these weeks. That would be awesome. I'd love to oh, yeah. have him, have him on great. the show. Yeah, he's a great guy. And there were other, you know, two other ball games that we haven't touched upon yet. Uh, the Lakers in Dallas. Um, who wants to start us off with that one? 51-21 in the third quarter. Yeah. Game set. Do we match. really have to, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, how it would be one thing if the Lakers had a defense that was down at the bottom all season, but they their problem had been offense. Yeah, they played. They've been staying, if you want to call it, in games because they played decent defense. How do you give up? Well, I know how you give up 51 points. You let the Mavericks shoot about 72% from the field. I mean, that's that's a simple recipe. But <laughs> it, one turnover the entire quarter. How how is that possible? I just I just can't fathom giving up that many points for a team that just a couple of years ago won a title. I think it was because they unveiled the Dirk Nowitzki statue outside of the uh, the arena. That must have inspired those guys to just rain threes. Took a yeah. while to inspire them. It did. That first, that first <laughs> half, they came out extremely lackadaisical, going through the motions. And I thought maybe they had a Christmas morning or a Christmas Eve hangover, you know, spending time with friends and family and weren't fully focused on the task at hand. But, boy, did they come out woken up in that second half, as you guys alluded to, and uh, they got hot on the perimeter. Tim Hardway stepped it up in the second half. Um, they were moving the ball extremely well, of course, not turning the ball over, and uh, that's all she wrote in that one. We won't have to uh, go deeper into that game, but the game I really want to talk about that we haven't got to yet, the Grizzlies at Warriors. Boy, Memphis just dropped the ball on the road, and the Warriors looked like I mean, if, if you weren't watching that game closely, you would have assumed Steph Curry was out there. What can you say? I mean, you know, your 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 uh, your pal John Morant. Oh. I guess he's got one more team he should maybe be concerned about now, besides yeah. the Celtics. Yeah, I, I mean, I got to go <laughs> off on John Morant here real quick. I mean, the guy, <laughs> as we touched upon last week, comes out and says he's he's only worried about the Celtics this year. No one in the West really scares him, and. All they've really done since he said that is drop games. And, you know, to lose to that Warriors team without not just Curry, but Wiggins and completely just outplayed the entire game from start to finish. They never really went on a run to where I thought the, the Warriors lead was truly in jeopardy. Just, they, they got some waking up to do. And, you know, as we're taping this, I know early on in the ball game back at home in Memphis, uh, the Grizzlies were losing to the Suns, and the Suns are without Landry Shamit, Devin Booker, and Cam Johnson. So, you know, I don't know what it's going to take, but, you know, he's got to start to walk the walk, as we've talked about. Well, you know, you think about that game, 
Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, who put up nice numbers points-wise, just 6 of 22 from three-point range. I mean, they gave up double-digit scoring from Ty Jerome, Moses Moody, Anthony Lamb. I mean, you're going to go off and, and shoot your mouth off that you're not worried about – you only worry about the Celtics and you can't stop those three <laughs> players? Yeah. I thought it was pretty funny that that Clay Thompson, who is not really a big trash talker, made sure to let you know Dylan Brooks know – you know, what was what there uh, yeah. before the game ended. Yeah, Dylan Brooks put out a tweet last year when uh, the Grizzlies had beaten the Warriors um, saying that we're, we're strength in numbers. Well, you know, the strength in numbers were on the Warriors end this time with guys stepping up like Ty Jerome, Anthony Lamb. And, uh, you know, in the postgame presser, he made note of that, that he hadn't forgot about that and really wanted to stick it to him. And he did on one of those last three-pointers uh, as he was staring on, uh, Dylan Brooks on the ground as he backpedaled back. That was that was quite the sight to see there. But uh, Brooks Brooks looked like roadkill on that play. I mean, plays like leaning down over him, looking like ooh. Is he by the way, <laughs> by the way, you know, in all seriousness, too, that was a really impressive showing by the Warriors as the defending champs, and we've just been knocking them all season because they've been terrible on the road. They're de- obviously this was at home, but. You know, we've been knocking them all year. Every podcast is what's wrong with what's wrong with them, what's wrong with them. Now you lose Steph. And they came out against one of the best teams, maybe the best team in the league, or at least in the West, and they really handed it to them without their best player. And so it was that was an impressive effort by them. And uh, who knows what it means going forward, but that was that was pretty good showing by them. Yeah, credit where credit's due with that one. But let's go ahead and get to our second quarter here. Talk about a team that continues to stay scorching hot. The Brooklyn Nets, huge road win on Monday night in Cleveland over the Cavaliers. Um, what'd you guys see from that one? Well, first of all, uh, let's give a little bit of credit to some folks other than Durant and Kyrie Irving, although they deserve tons of credit. Let's start with Jacques Vaughn, head coach. 20-7 and seven since he took over the team, okay? He said, I was reading a story about him today, he says they're keeping it simple and they're focusing on the basketball, which is what they needed to do because the first part of their season was dominated by Kyrie Irving and his diva act. And I guess the one bit of suspense I have about that is, will Kyrie blow this thing up at some point because he usually does slip into his diva act at one point, but there's a lot of things going right uh, in Brooklyn. And I know that I know Michael, you have something uh, and, and uh, one of their role players, and there's a couple others that definitely deserve mention here, but why don't you go? Well, I mean, they're just shooting the lights out like crazy. It's unbelievable. 57% from the field against the best defensive team in the league. I mean, in their building, I mean, really, really handed it to him. Uh, you know, they hadn't had uh, Joe Harris or a lot this month, but he had been struggling with his jumper. Now he's shooting about 53% on threes in limited time this month because he's hurt. Now he's hurt again. But, I mean, this is a team that's shooting. They're leading the league for the year in shooting in the restricted area. They're leading the league in shooting from the mid-range, which is KD territory. You know, they're shooting 70% in the restricted area, 50% in the mid-range, they shoot 47% in the painted area outside the restricted area, which is top five. They're shooting from the corners. They're shooting top five. From the above break, they're shooting top five. It's just an incredible shooting display that they're on. And it's the off. their defense is getting better. We talked about it last week. They're, they're getting better. But if they shoot like this, they don't need their defense to be elite. 
They just don't need to be a train wreck, and which was which is what it was a couple of years ago when they had that great team and they couldn't. They just barely missed out against the Bucks. Their defense was just terrible. Now it's okay, but they're shooting the lights out like crazy. It was really impressive to see, or it has been impressive to see just how well they're shooting from everywhere. And, and one guy that I had brought up in the past as a key pivotal piece, um, kind of making his way back off injury. Had an exceptional game. That's T.J. Warren, a.k.a. Tony Buckets, as he goes by across some of the the league members. And he had his best game of the season against Cleveland. He scored 23 points in 27 minutes and famously doing so very efficiently. He's always been an efficient scorer in the league. He was 9 of 14 from the field, and he was a plus 16 on the night. And he also grabbed eight rebounds, and he was active in the passing lanes and also came away with two steals. So he he provided a huge boost off that bench for them. And if he can keep that going, I think he can really start to kind of fill the role that Karis Levert once had on, on Brooklyn. I could see him ha- having a Levert-type impact on that second unit in Brooklyn, and that's going to be key to kind of help relieve uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. You know, when T.J. Warren plays, they're 9-1, and one, Okay. He's only playing 18 minutes a game, but he's averaging double figures, a little over 10, and he's shooting almost 56% from the floor. So this guy, he's one of the guys that is kind of getting it done. Another guy that I think has been ridiculed for the last two, three years, but has really become a real ball player again is Ben Simmons. Okay. Now, look, I think he finally found his position and it's not point guard. Okay. He's still a lockdown defender. Okay, Uh, he's excelling on defense in rebounding and in passing. He's averaging a little over eight points. Again, it's mostly junk points, but um, six, almost seven rebounds and more than six assists. Uh, He still can't shoot free throws. He's around 46 percent and he's yet to attempt a three point shot this season. Okay, Uh, but again, he's you know, I'm going to give some credit to the coaching staff. I'm going to give some credit to him because he's basically doing what he can do even without scoring. And this was something that was always a good thing on that team because you've got two dynamic scorers. You don't really need a ton of points from this guy. What he's giving you is really kind of what you need from him. And what was, I think what was expected when he came there, they were hoping, um, you know, when you, when you give up, James Harden and you bring in Ben Simmons, you're not looking for an upgrade offensively. You're looking for improvement on defense because you know who you have in KD and, and Kyrie. So, yeah, I think he's, he's been, when I've seen him, he's been really impressive on the defensive end. Uh, he doesn't have to be aggressive offensively as we talked about. And, you know, we'll see come playoff time, you know, how the mindset is, but, but right now, he he looks really sharp, and he looks like everybody else on that team really sharp. And one last thing on Brooklyn. They're currently on a three-game road trip that kicked off uh, in Cleveland. They've now got a game in Atlanta and then a game in Charlotte. And then they're going to return home and face the San Antonio Spurs. So their upcoming week looks extremely favorable. And uh, you know I think there's a good chance we'll be uh, at least noting them on our next podcast that they, they've got a nice little schedule coming up to where they should continue to take advantage of uh, some of those teams that they're facing. I just want to, uh, before, before I know you're going to move on, but there was one more guy I just wanted to give a little love to here and that's Royce O'Neal. 
Royce O'Neal is another guy. He's averaging only nine and a half points, you know, four plus rebounds, four plus assists. He's a dog on defense. Okay. He's exactly the kind of guy that gives you what you need. Again, alongside the two big scorers and alongside Ben Simmons, he's playing a lot of minutes. He's third on the team in minutes played. And in some ways, he kind of reminds me a little bit of a kind of a slightly younger version of uh, PJ Tucker, who is a guy that we know provides winning plays and does, you know, dirty work, whatever you want to call it. So Royce O'Neal, um, big ups to him. He's he's having a great season for those guys, even though the numbers don't look like it. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think it's kind of funny with, with Royce O'Neal. Can you imagine him on this jazz team? They'd be even that much scarier. He fits exactly what that team is and would just be another uh, piece to that team that would keep them competitive as the season goes on. But heading into our third quarter here, let's talk about a matchup that's going on later on tonight uh, against two of the best bigs in all of the NBA. Definitely the two hottest bigs in the league as of now. That is uh, Sabonis in Sacktown and the Joker up in the mile high. So let's size these two up. Mike, you want to take, you want to lead off here? Uh, well, it's, it's, how often do you get to say the premier big man matchup? But that's what it feels like tonight yeah. uh, with these two. We we expected it from uh, the Joker. He's just you know so great, the uh, multi MVP, and we know Sabonis is a, a really good player. We didn't realize he could get to this level of good. Ten straight games with uh, double digit rebounds, back to back triple doubles. He's been you know really something else. What I remember him being is just a guy who's dominant in the paint. I didn't know about, you know, you don't think of everything else with him. This month, the, he is, the Kings are averaging 27, almost 28 more points per 100 possessions when he's on the court as opposed to off. When he's off the court, they're not averaging less than a point per possession. That's in the Joker territory right there. And I got a good one on Joker when we get to about, during this win, last four games, during this win streak for him, it's insane. Okay, I'm I'm gonna probably have a couple numbers that aren't nearly as good as yours, but you know that that's why you're the man when it comes to that stuff. But when that's you kind of when you kind of look at the tail of the tape with these two guys, here's here's a few things. All right, they're supposed to go head to head. You know, Tuesday night tonight. Uh, Sabonis has an avulsion fracture in his right thumb. So there's not a certainty that he's going to play, although indications were he was going to give it a try. We don't know that yet. The game hasn't started. But you got two dominant bigs who both score. Joker, 25 the game. Sabonis, almost 18. Both of these guys rebound. Sabonis leads the NBA in rebounding, 12 and a half a game. Uh, Joker's not far behind at 11. They're both outstanding passers. Joker, we know about. He's averaging 9.4 assists. He actually has a chance to average a triple-double this year, although he's going to have to pick up. But, I mean, he's right knocking on the door for that one. Uh, number three in the league in assists. Sabonis is number 12 in the league assists. So these are the two great passing bigs. They both are very efficient from the floor. Field goal percentage, both of them are over 61%, both in the top 10. Triple doubles. Joker has seven. Sabonis, that leads the NBA. Sabonis has three, which is tied for third. Okay. Uh, between them, they have three of the last five triple doubles in the entire NBA. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah. And uh, Sabonis is a slightly better three-point shooter, about 39% versus 34 for Joker. So to me, I just hope, uh, 
every time these guys play, I mean, that's going to be much must-see TV, Ross. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the the lead leading and rebounding for uh, Sabonis, but you know he's currently 12th in the league, as you mentioned as well, averaging 6.7 dimes per game. And uh, the thing that really stands out to me is the fact that he takes care of the basketball. Right now, Sabonis is only committing two and a half turnovers a game. And of the league's top 12 in assists, only Marcus Smart commits less turnovers per game at 2.3. So not only is he a big, not only is he in the top 12, but he's the second best at taking care of the basketball. And, you know, that that's a Sacramento group that really hasn't gelled until this year. And I think a lot of that has to go to Sabonis. And, you know, we talk about it a lot when it, when it comes to Sabonis with the Kings and the trade with Halliburton. It's like, this is working out extremely well for both teams. You know, I don't think that was as bad of a trade as it first appeared, especially uh, since, you know, Darren Fox is having one of the best seasons of his career, if not the best. And, you know, you got a, a cornerstone big man that's right there with Joker. I mean, wh- how much better could he be? I mean, we're, we're giving him the ultimate credit sizing up against the two-time reigning MVP. Mike, you said you had some amazing numbers. I want to hear them now. All right. Well, you brought up a good point too, Ross. But, you know, when this trade was made, it was what is going on in Sacramento? Why are they giving up on you – know, that was the deal. Why are they giving up on the season? Why are they giving up on the future? And it's looking like it's at the very worst and even trade. But we talked about another in previous episodes on the podcast about Joker's uh, impact on the team offensively, how much more they score when he's on the court. He leads the NBA in uh, point offensive efficiency differential as opposed to on and off court. During these last four games, during the win streak, when he's on the court, they are scoring 40.2 points per 100 possessions more than when he's off the court. That's that's an insane number. It's 121.5 points per 100 possessions when he's on the court. When he sits – the Nuggets are only scoring 81.3 points per 100 possessions. That's it's an incredible. Now he doesn't sit that much, obviously, right. but that's an incredibly that just shows just how valuable you are, not to mention all the numbers alone that he puts up there. But it's so ridiculous. It's a, it's Joker and it's a lot of good players, some above average players, like we talked about pre, but there's really no superstar, there's no big three. When it comes to him, there's no really, to this point, all-stars. It's really him and him feeding these other guys to get the uh, get the other points. So it's really an amazing thing what he's his doing tri- right now. His triple-doubles are the loudest triple-doubles in the league. Seven days apart, yes. he had he had he had the, the the 41, 15, and 15, as Russ had mentioned on Christmas. On the 18th, just one week before, he had the 40-27-10 triple-double. It's like, that is just sick stuff. We're all speechless. Video game numbers. It's sick. There's no no better way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I think he's right there in the conversation yet again this year. I know that on Christmas Day they flashed the uh, players that have won uh, three back-to-back-to-back MVPs be quite the uh, um, team to, to, to join in, in that regard. But uh, he's putting together a hell of a season, and he really had DeAndre Ayton guessing what he was going to do out there in that game. He was knocking down threes, 
He was, you know, dishing the ball to others or just give him the loop-de-loo in the post, as he always does. Slow but effective. So he was a lot of fun to watch in that in that game. And certainly tonight's game in Sacramento should be uh, a lot of fun as well. But that gets us into our fourth quarter here. We got a little bit of a mixed bag for our 48 minutes listeners. And uh, Bruce, we'll go ahead and start with you. What you got for us? All right. Who is Alperin Shangun? <laughs> okay. Well, Alperin Shangun is a 20-year-old big. He's a 6'9 center from Turkey. He's in his second NBA season. And he's playing with those young dudes in Houston uh, who are actually losing to Boston tonight, although they hung in there for a while. But as predicted in the fourth quarter, they're starting to fade a little bit. This guy, man... He uh, on Monday night against Chicago, he had 25, 11, and six assists. Okay. He's in his second year. All of his numbers are way up from his rookie year. His scoring is up five points. His rebounding is up more than three boards. His field goal percentage is up like from 47% to almost 56%. And his free throw shooting, he was 71% last year. He's 79% now. That's a team that in two years, you are just not going to want anything to do with that team. Um, there, you know, I we talked about how you know the sons of ballers on that team. Well, I realized tonight, in addition to the two that we mentioned last week, I forgot about Jamari Smith Jr. So they have three sons of players, and Stephen Silas, the coach, is the son of Paul Silas. So um, Shengun, man, keep keep your eye on him uh, and. Uh, I don't know if uh, are we gonna are we gonna each tell everyone uh, who our favorite player from Turkey is now? Is is this the right time to do that? Ross, you knew somebody pretty well who was from Turkey, didn't you? Absolutely, that was uh, the Turkish Thunder himself, Ersan Ilyasova, the longtime <laughs> Buck. Then became journeyman for the last uh, quarter of his career, and uh, he was a fantastic European pick and pop guy. Um, always led led the league or was among the leaders and charges taken. I, there were tons of memes and jokes about, you know, he would do whatever it took to take a charge. Even when he wasn't in position, he, he'd try to square up and take one. Um, and, and probably my favorite thing about Ursan, just kind of watching him all those years in Milwaukee was the fact that, you know, that guy would end with like 15 points, 13 rebounds. And, you know, he wasn't overly big. But what he would do is he'd keep a ball on the glass. He'd play kind of the European-style basketball where you could knock it off the rim. Of course, he wouldn't do that. But he'd always just be kind of tipping it to himself until it finally bounced in. So he'd get like two or three different offensive rebounds on one possession. And uh, that would be my pick uh, for uh, my favorite Turkish player of all time. World B, who you got? Well, first of all, let me let me just say this is the absolutely first time I've ever been asked this question. <laughs> so I can cross that off the list of uh, questions I've never been asked. But I was a, I was always a fan of uh, Hidu Turkaloo. Hidu Turkaloo. Uh, he you know long time in the league. People don't realize fifteen years he spent in the league. Came up with those great Kings teams in the early two uh, thousands when they had Weber and they had Bibby or Jason Williams. And Divas, they had all those great players, those great teams that battled with the Lakers. Uh, he had his best years in Orlando, really. His career high, I believe, it was like 19 and a half points a game. And the next year, when he went to the finals, he was a key member there. Six times he shot over 40% from three. He was a really, uh, really super deep threat. So 
of all the players. I mean, he was on my I, – I always watched play or always enjoyed watching the play. Yeah, and Ursan Ilias – or Ursan, I'm getting off topic here. Hidu Turkle has one of the best post-game interviews of all time. Not sure if you guys have seen it, but it's still up on YouTube. I did check. You know, he had a he had a game where he got hot in the fourth quarter and took over the game, won the game for the Magic. And they asked him after the game, you know, what was the difference in that fourth quarter? And all he said was, ball. And they, they go, the ball in your hands? He goes, ball. And maybe he was talking man. about maybe he was talking about ball ball or <laughs> Yeah, or Lonzo Ball. Maybe he could see the future. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, my favorite, my favorite Turkish player is Ennis Cantor Freedom, former Celtic great, in quotations. Former uh, Nick great. Former yeah. everyone great. Former yeah. Oklahoma great. Former yeah, Portland great. You, you know, former everybody's great. He, you know, he was a guy that was a low post beast on offense. The guy had like Velcro on his hands. If the ball was anywhere near him, he grabbed it. He had big, strong hands. Uh, his problem was that he couldn't guard a statue, okay? In the screen and roll... His guy would just score at will, generally speaking. He just couldn't guard. But I will say this about him. He has become, late in his career and and in his, well, it looks like his post-career. He has not on anyone's roster. He's been like a real advocate for some very good social causes. His country of Turkey, uh, the government there would be called authoritarian, uh, you could say. In fact, uh, he's had a feud with Hato Turkoglu because Turkoglu works for the president of Turkey now as like the head of like sport or something. And they've had some words for each other because Cantor Freedom can't go back to Turkey. He's persona non grata there because of the government. But I loved him. He was always a great guy. He, I obviously one dimensional, but someone who always seemed like a great teammate. So Ennis Cantor Freedom, uh, my favorite Turk. That's a good pick there, Bruce. I was lucky enough to work with Ennis and, my time in New York, and uh, I can confirm he was a great player, great person, always very good to the coaches, support staff, uh, ball, you know, all, all the kids, the water boys, things of that nature. And, um, you know, he's definitely missed in the league. I, I do miss him uh, offensively and on both ends on the boards. He's, he's He was always fun to watch there. So um, up next, we do have our betting s- Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait just a minute here, Ross. Uh Uh-oh. I thought you were going to talk about the Green Cornet. Oh, that's right. I'm getting all ahead of myself here. (laughs) A little uh, flustered after uh, Christmas Day here. But yes, how could I forget Luke Cornett of the Boston Celtics? Um, He has something really going on that's getting viral around the league with his shot contest. He's uh, contesting three-point shooters from inside the paint, and it's gaining some momentum around some of the other bigs in the league. And one for certain that just came out earlier today discussing it with a media member is Kristaps Porzingis, a, f- a former teammate of Luke's. And uh, he said that he, he, of course, noticed it. And he started to dive into the numbers, and he feels that it's been actually effective. So he's been trying it out a few times, says he's going to continue to try it out um, in games. And uh, I think the most ironic part of this is the fact that when Luke Cornett was a rookie with the Knicks, Knicks fans referred to Luke as the Unicornet because, of course, Christoph Porzingis <laughs> is known as the Unicorn. So, you know, who's one of the first people to speak out about the shot contest and now give it a try? The Unicorn and Christoph Porzingis. So 
that is certainly something worth noting and, and something to keep an eye on in Washington. Those Vanderbilt guys, man, smart, <laughs> smart, heady players. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and get into our betting, uh, our betting section here. And I want to briefly talk about a pretty safe same game parlay X. So for those of you that aren't familiar, a same game parlay X is when you go ahead and take player props from different games and combine them into one parlay. It's something that's now available on FanDuel and DraftKings and probably all the other sports books that are out there. And what I really want to do is look at three Mr. Reliables from the small forward position. All right. These are guys that are great options to bet on because they play over 36 minutes per game and they've participated in, in at least 32 games this season. The number one guy I have on my list is the Phoenix Suns, Mikel Bridges. This guy never misses games and he's pretty much always safe for putting up 10 points along with burying at least one three pointer. So I like him for 10 points, one three pointer. And on the year, Bridges is averaging nearly 16 points and knocks down 1.8 long balls per game. So that, that would be my number one. Number two, Jason Tatum. He's typically good for 25 points a night, as you know, Bruce. And he's averaging a hair over 30. So 25 is on the safer side there. And the Celtics shoot more threes than most teams in the league. So you can always count Jason in for two three-pointers made a game as he shoots just over nine. So you're getting a lot of bang for your buck there with nine attempts a game. He should knock down two of those. And last but not least, my guy down in Portland, Jeremy Grant. The sports books are just now starting to figure out Jeremy Grant and how he fits within this Portland Blazers offense. Um, but he's a solid bet to go ahead and cover 20 points per game and to knock down two triples. He's continually improved his shot uh, over the work he did as the go-to guy with the Pistons. And he's transitioned, transitioned it pretty seamlessly over to Portland this year. And uh, on the season, Grant currently sits at an average of 22 points per game while drilling 2.73s on nearly six attempts a game. So keep that in mind for your next same game parlay X, Mikael Bridges, Jason Tatum, and Jeremy Grant. Hey, Ross, can I just say that uh, you mentioned Jason Tatum. Boston did end up beating Houston. They warmed down in the second half. Jason Tatum had 38 points tonight. Jalen Brown had 39 points tonight. So they wow. combined for 77 on Tuesday night. So Pippen and Jordan... Maybe not such a stretch. <laughs> not bad. Not bad at all. All right. Any final th thoughts on today's 48-minute uh, show? Mike, you want to you talk about Darius Garland's backcourt mate? Yeah, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, we, we thought during the summer he was going to end up in New York. That was the plan. That was the thought process from everybody. It didn't work out. We surprised everybody by going to Cleveland. We thought it we it was a confusing deal. We didn't quite understand it. But all he's done there, you know, he used to be known as a volume shooter. It wasn't a high percentage. He gets points because he shot the ball a lot. But this year he's averaging career highs in scoring, field goal percentage, uh, three-point percentage, free throw percentage. In the, among guards this year in the stat called true shooting percentage, which is basically everything including free throw percentage combined into uh, one metric, there's Seth Curry and then Donovan Mitchell second among guards in terms of true shooting percentage. He's really having, and not just an all-star season, that goes without saying, but he's having second or third team all-NBA type season at this point. 
I would like to um, give some love to the big men in this league from abroad. The premier big men in this league are pretty much all non-Americans. Let's start with Joel Embiid. Okay. How about Giannis Antetokounmpo? How about Nikola Jokic? Okay. Now, DeMontis Sabonis is from the United States, but his father, Arvita Sabonis, was the first superstar international big back in the late 70s, in the Olympics, early 80s uh, in the NBA, although he was injured. So, and the young man we talked about a little bit before, Alperin Shingun. I mean, the, the yeah, Nikola Vucevic. I mean, all of these international bigs are really kind of redefining what the center position is uh, with their European skills and their, you know, 6'10 to 7 foot length. Yeah. And my special shout out uh, to go along with my theme of being a little off the rails here today on today's podcast. I want to give a rest in peace shout out to East Bay. Uh, they will be closing up shop for good at the end of this month. And for ball players and sneakerheads alike, that was the go-to shoe catalog magazine. Um, growing up, I loved it as a kid and I haven't used it in years, but, uh, just to know that it's closing down, uh, was kind of soul crushing. I'm getting older now. That was a, a pure sign of that trying to get with the times of everything on digital. Um, but I spent many days scrolling their pages and begging my parents to go ahead and submit an order for a fresh pair of kicks. So rest in peace to East Bay. We used to get that catalog all the time. My oldest son, Mitchell, who's 32 years old now, uh, we I think, you know, up until recently, they would still send him to the house. He never moved his address along, and it was always fun to look at. One final shout-out before we go, because we're not quite at the 48-minute mark yet. Duncan Robinson uh, yes. made his 800th career three-pointer on Monday in his 263rd career game. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the record. No one in NBA history has made 803 pointers in fewer games. The next four after Duncan Robinson, Luka Doncic, Buddy Heald, Donovan Mitchell, and oh, by the way, Stephen Curry. It's kind of a new age record if you think about it because all of the record holders are active players. There's no old timers in there. Usually on like these all time records, there's usually one old timer in there. Wilt's in there for some number or you know, whatever. But this just kind of shows how the game has evolved, that the preponderance of three-point shooting is a relatively recent phenomenon, and all the record holders pretty much when it comes to three-pointers are active players. So, Duncan Robinson, we're tipping our hat to you. Fastest ever to 800 three-pointers. Yeah, he was the only guy on your list that was undrafted as well, so super impressive for him to join that company. So Here's a note right. on Duncan Robinson that you probably didn't realize. He has taken 2,327 shots in his career from the field. Five years, he has just taken 329 two-pointers. Everything else <laughs> is almost 2,000 three-pointers. 86% of his shots are from three-point range. Can you imagine playing five years and only taking three, 330 two-point shots? That's, that's it's incredible. Pretty impressive. I mean, there was yeah. a time when you saw that guy get the ball, your whole defense was like panicking. I mean, it seems that it's not quite that way anymore. He's out of rotation now. Yeah, he's just 33% this year from the three. I mean, if he's not going to hit threes, he, he really can't be on the court. 
from the University of Michigan. Dr. Uh, by way of? Oh, by the way. Uh, some prep school somewhere. Williams, Williams maybe? College. <laughs> the only player in NBA history from Williams College. Wow, Robert Williams III had a college named after him? That's so cool. Uh, I was going to say, not Buck Williams? <laughs> come on, Buck? Ross, come up with a Williams. You got one. I got Jason Williams. All right. White chocolate. There you go. <laughs> but that will do it for today's show, folks. want to thank you for tuning in to Episode 4 of 48 Minutes. We'll be back with you on Thursday. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to hit that subscribe button uh, before logging off. So long, fellas. Have a good one, y'all.